Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Uh, 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 hiking, and I was talking to one of our younger guys who um, bought his own house, and we were just talking about mortgage rates, and I think he had fixed his mortgage happily at something like 3%, and we were or lamenting, or some were lamenting the kind of now 5%, and uh, I realized that actually there's a generation, a generation, I went on Wikipedia to see what generation, is about 15 years, so that's basically what a kind of social generation is, and it is literally 15 years since the banking crash in 2008, which actually caused interest rates to come to an artificially low level, and so there's been, I realized in this conversation, there's a whole generation, social generation, that think interest rates should be like 1%, and that 3% is like through the roof, and 5%, you know, is anarchy. It's kind of like, when I got a mortgage, it was 12%, and I think uh, it went to 14, that's in the back of my head, and uh, if it ever came down to 5, and I'm not sure I ever got it down to 5 before I paid it off, then, you know, isn't it strange how you can forget very, very quickly. And within 15 years, there's a whole generation that have bought houses on very, very low interest rates, forgetting that actually, you know, that is pretty unique for, you know, a lot of, lot of years. And I want to talk this morning on remember. I'm going to look at three aspects of remembrance. First aspect is because it's Remembrance Day today. And uh, yesterday there was the whole things around the cenotaph and uh, remembering the wars. I was thinking about a conversation I had with my dad, um, who was uh, part of the armed forces in the Second World War. And um, he said to me that uh, he trained to be the turret gunner at the, at the back of the Lancaster bombers. And so these little uh, kind of machine gun, whatever they were at the back, they were the highest mortality rate, I think, in bomber command, which actually had, makes me want to cry, the highest mortality rate. Do you understand? So fundamentally, if you were a gunner in that position, your chances of survival were really, really low. And he said to me, Colin, that uh, the reason he wasn't in the end to do that was because he had an eye test, and he actually failed on his eye test, and um, so ended up in another part of the armed forces. But just made me think, would I be here (laughs) if he had had the, uh, you know, correct eye eye thing? And so just, uh, you know, for a lot of us, First, Second World War, it's, uh, you know, it it was a history. But we have the wars now in Gaza. We have the wars in Ukraine. We have the wars in Africa. There's wars in many parts of the country that we don't even get to our half-hour news bulletin at 6 o'clock. So the second remembrance is what the apostles 
said to Paul and Barnabas, when Paul and Barnabas went to see them in Jerusalem to explain what was happening in the Gentile churches. And uh, they wanted to see that it that was in line with what was happening in Jerusalem. They wanted to see that actually the gospel that they were preaching was actually authentic with what the church in Jerusalem, which was the, obviously the start of the global expression of the church. And so they uh, had this big conversation, and in the end, the uh, pillars of the church, as Paul said, Peter, James, and John, and others, fundamentally said to Paul and Barnabas, it's great what you're doing, <laughs> carry on. But there's one thing we ask you to do, and that is remember the poor. And Paul, as he's writing to the church in Galatia, recounting this conversation, he said, that's what we wanted to do. That is the very thing we wanted to do. And that's why we are having this big offering these next two or three weeks, because we want to remember the poor. We want to look after the poor in our world as uh, that uh, God wants us to do. It's interesting, I was uh, converted in a Methodist church and uh, I went down to Bristol once and uh, look, I was part, went into the little chapel in Bristol that uh, was birthed out of that um, uh, Methodist revival. And uh, when I was there, I was thinking about how John Wesley started his uh, uh, preaching ministry, which was actually to the miners, the very poor miners in Bristol. And uh, John, George Whitfield had basically said to him, come and start preaching like I'm doing to the, the, uh, the poor miners as they're coming out of the, the colliery. And uh, he says this, he says, as they were listening, he said he could see the tears coming down their eyes. And basically, it was the poor that fundamentally started to get converted and uh, God moving amongst them in that Wesleyan revival. Well, about 100 years after that, William Booth brought a few, uh, I said, poor, rugged boys from the slum to a Methodist church. And uh, the minister, when he did this, got angry with him. And uh, he said to William Booth, he said, next time you bring them, bring them through a back door. <laughs> and don't let them sit here. It's in one century, the Methodist church had become middle class, forgot their roots, forgot that they started by miners who were drunkards, who lived in poverty, finding Jesus Christ. And now, the very same people they were rejecting. It's easy to forget. Really easy to forget, which is why the, the apostles in Jerusalem wanted Paul and Barnabas to remember the poor. And if you read through the New Testament, you see how Paul had massive collections through the churches that he planted to help the poor, actually back in Jerusalem because of a famine. And so I just want to look at why and how 
did this early church in Jerusalem help and look after the poor? Because it says in Acts 4.34, there was no needy person amongst them. That is a remarkable statement. Because the church in Jerusalem was thousands. 3,000 got saved on one day, 5,000 on another day. And it says daily people were getting saved. I don't know how big this church in Jerusalem was, but it was massive. And then it has this statement that they obliterated absolute poverty amongst the people of God. Isn't that remarkable? In a city. Can you imagine in Greater Manchester? Obliterating absolute poverty. Even in the church, (laughs) mind the city. And that's basically what happened. The interesting thing is that you can do that and still have problems. Because in Acts 6, there was a problem because it seems like there was a racial issue happened. Sounds very familiar. That the Greek-speaking widows felt like they were not being looked after as well as the Hebrew-speaking widows. So you can have this remarkable event and situation where no poverty, everybody giving generously, and yet even within that, difficult as of administration, of organization, of openness, of governance. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? In, in our generation. And uh, the, the apostles, I felt, handled it brilliantly. They weren't defensive. They weren't trying to say, no, you're not right. They, they thought, no, we're going to tackle this. And so they said to the Greek-speaking widows and the Greek speakers in the congregation, look, you choose the people you want to look after you. That's a big, that's a big ask. It's a big thing. We're going to give it away because we want you to have confidence that actually you're looking, being looked after well. And so they chose six people who they felt confident, and uh, we're not going to go into that, but of who could look after them. And uh, it was in this context of openness, of looking after the poor, that I say they said to Paul and Barnabas, we want this all over the (laughs) Roman Greek-speaking world. We want this, what's happening here, to be part of the church everywhere. And that's what we want. And uh, what I want to do is go back into the Old Testament for a few moments to look... (laughs) How did they, in the early days of the church, kind of this become such a a top priority for them? Because it was part of their heritage. And it was almost like what they learned when they'd been in the synagogue, what they learned from the Torah, from the Old Testament. Actually, they were seeing this was part of being the people of God, the called out community. And so I want to... Just look in Deuteronomy. There's plenty of places, but I just want to look at a few verses in Deuteronomy 15, and uh, mainly for verse 7 to 11. And uh, in verse 4, just before these verses, 
It says this in Deuteronomy 15. There should be no poor among you, for the Lord your God will greatly bless you in the land he is giving you as a special possession. So that's basically, as they're going into the promised land, God is saying to the people of God, there should be no poor amongst you. Now, just the context of this is that for 40 years, there had been no poor among the people of God. The reason that there had been no poor, because God had provided for every single one of them, equally. Manna and quails. Basically, they had been supernaturally provided by God. It's interesting, when I was thinking of this, I was thinking, actually, it wasn't just 40 years that things had been equal. It had been for hundreds of years, because they were slaves before that. And fundamentally, they were all slaves. And so, you know, they basically earned nothing. (laughs) Only had what the Egyptians gave them, which would have been minuscule. And then God had provided. And so they had no kind of concept that some people, because sometimes because of their industry, sometimes because of no fault of their own, would actually become rich and some people would become poor. There's a whole generation, like the generation I mentioned, that didn't understand high interest rates. You know, There was a whole generation that hadn't lived through the fact that some people would have a lot and some people would have a little. And God was going to provide them a land that would give them enough for everyone. But the difference was that he wasn't going to give it to everybody. It was the people of God were going to share it among themselves. That was the difference. And so he gives some pointers of how they sh- their attitude should be so that there would be no more needy. So he said there was no more needy as a declaration of what should be. And I would just want to look at a few things that he says in this context, okay? And uh, just a few verses, and I'm going to pick a few things out as I go through it. But let me just read from verse 7. It says this, If there are any poor Israelites in your towns, notice that. Verse 4 said there's no needy, because that's the statement. That's God's intent, okay? But actually, the practical circumstances of life means that if there are any poor Israelites uh, in your towns, when you arrive in the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Instead, be generous and lend to them whatever they need. Do not be mean-spirited and refuse someone alone because of the year for cancelling debt is close at hand. If you refuse to make the loan and the needy person cries out to the Lord, you will be considered guilty of sin. Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you will do. There will always be some in the land who are poor, That is why I'm commanding you to share freely with the poor and with the other Israelites in need. So can you see this? God's intention is the land is good enough 
and prosperous enough and fertile enough for everybody. But there will be circumstances that make some people poor. Okay? And so he just gives a few kind of things, the attitudes that we should have so that actually we can obliterate poverty. <laughs> Absolute poverty. And the first one is this in verse 7. Don't be hard-hearted. So what does that mean? It says, you know, it's not showing kindness or sympathy for other people. It's easy to harden your heart. It's easy for nations to harden their heart. It's easy for groups of people to harden their heart. And so first thing it says is don't harden your heart. You sometimes do that to protect yourself, actually. Because hardening your heart means you don't feel. Do you know? It just means you're not feeling the, the pain and the suffering that's going on. You kind of harden yourself from it. It's like you protect yourself. And uh, so often in our nation, you feel that when it comes to helping the refugee, the poor, the downtrodden. And yet there are glimmers of hope. In November, every year, the children in need raise millions and millions of pounds. So it's not like doom and gloom, but it's easy if we're not careful just to harden our hearts, to get hard-hearted about it. Verse 7 says this, I, I almost feel like um, this is kind of today's way we think about it. Do not be tight-fisted <laughs> towards them. You know? When I read those verses, I think that's a, that's, that, that rings true today. That's the sort of thing. You know, the last thing you want to do when you go for a drink with somebody is go with a tight-fisted person, especially when you're in a group. You know, it's just, you want someone who's not holding on at the back of the queue <laughs> when, when it comes to who's paying. And basically... God's saying this, don't be hard-hearted and don't be tight-fisted. Don't hold on. Don't grab what you want. The NIV says this, but we should rather be open-handed. That the money that we have should be in an open hand, not a closed hand. And uh, just, I say, I think just... This is God telling the people of God <laughs> as they go into a land of prosperity where some will have a lot and some will have nothing because of circumstances. Sometimes their own <laughs> and sometimes not their own. But actually we're not to be hard-hearted or tight-fisted. Then he goes on to say, or mean-spirited. 15 verse 9 says this, do not be mean-spirited and refuse someone alone because the year for cancelling debt is close at hand. Well, that means, well, every seven years, if you had loaned somebody some money, it should be cancelled. And what was happening is, and what could happen is, if someone needed the money on the sixth year, I, nearly, I want to say this. I don't know if it comes out well. You were stuffed. 
That means to say, <laughs> I don't know if that needs to be eradicated from the table, but do you understand? It, it meant that. It, it wasn't a loan anymore. It was a gift. Do you understand? Because there was no way that you could get the money back. And what was happening is, as it got nearer and could get nearer the seventh year, you begin to begin to get mean-spirited. I don't think I can loan this because I'm not going to get it back. And what God's saying is, be open-handed. Don't be mean-spirited. It's a loan. It's a gift. <laughs> Give it away because they are in need. This is all before they get in the land. Okay, It's God kind of giving them instruction from people who didn't know what it was to have more than the other. <laughs> how they should respond. And uh, that's how God wants us to respond. And in the New Testament, they took this totally to heart. So the, new, the church in Jerusalem was not mean-spirited. It wasn't hard-hearted. It was totally generous. People who had plots of land because God had blessed them sold it to give it to the poor. Chapter 4 talks about Barnabas, who sold part of his land because there was a need to give. And so that was the heart of the New Testament. They'd taken hold of this. It was like the promised land, the new church, the church of Jesus Christ. He had died, he had rose again. His Holy Spirit had come. They were taking all this Old Testament truth and applying it and thinking, this is how we're going to live. And the result, no needy person amongst them in tens of thousands of people. Remarkable, because I bet there was a lot of poverty, which came even in Act 6, where they're trying to administer the generosity of the people, showed how many people were in need. Verse 10, it says this, Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, Reluctantly, unwillingly, complainingly, <laughs> resentfully. Because the Lord will bless you. And then finally, in this little section, don't get cynical. Because it says this in verse 11, there will always be poor among you. And the difficulty is when there's always poor amongst you, there'll always be some that you can think to yourself, they probably deserve to be. It's a horrible thing to say. Do you know, but that's what, that's how we get, that cynicism creeps in, you know. If you only knew what they spent their money on. <laughs> and uh, I remember years ago, I think it was being in a Weatherspoons, and uh, it was full. And someone said to me, you know, it's full, because they, they don't do it, the gyros are not around, this, this shows my age. But someone said, ah, it's because it's the gyro day. I, can you see the cynicism that comes in? Because that's the day the government gives them some money. <laughs> and this is how they're spending it. Now, I know it raises loads of issues in our heads, okay? I, I absolutely know. But the one thing it shouldn't raise is cynicism. Do you understand me? It shouldn't harden our hearts. It shouldn't make us think, ah, it's a great excuse. 
it's their fault. We're not going to give. And so that's what God is kind of highlighting. And I find these, you know, this was thousands of years ago he was saying it to the people of God. I think so much of this is like just it's the same, isn't it? We are human people <laughs> with the same temptation, the same spirit that kind of of the, of the times that gets into us. But then there's just a few things that are kind of there, the negative, a few things that are positive that basically just to encourage us to give. It says, be generous. It says, why I'm, in verse 11, that's why I'm commanding you to share freely with the poor and other Israelites in need. There's a spirit of generosity that the church fundamentally should be. I mean, I think it was one Roman emperor basically said the problem he had was the church was not only, and the Christians were not only looking after their own poor, they were looking after all his as well. And fundamentally that caused him great problems. Okay. What a problem to give our government. What a problem for the government, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, to say, oh, I'm being, you know, these Christians, they're not only just looking after themselves, they're looking after all the others as well. It kind of makes everybody think we've got to do better. So generosity, just amazing thing. In Corinthians, Paul picks this whole kind of thing up and says, for a person who gives needs to give cheerfully. Don't give reluctantly. A God loves, we often say, a cheerful giver. Okay? What he doesn't want is people who are kind of grudgingly, mean-spiritedly, cynically giving. He wants people to have open hands, loving the fact that what God has given them is God's. Promised land was God's. The land he gave them was his. It was his land of promise. Fertile, good land for the people to have open, cheerful hearts. Paul also says that we want to give willingly as well, not grudgingly. So when we're thinking of our offering now for the poor, God's given us so much really has. Now, in this congregation, there'll be some that have got a lot, and there'll be some that have little. There'll be some that are struggling with ill health or employment. There'll be many, many different places that we're all at, and in CCM as a whole. In our multi-site, we have sites from different parts of society and different backgrounds. And so I think this November offering for me is just a brilliant opportunity for us to do what God asked the people of God to do with the land that he'd given them. A fertile land, a prosperous land, but a land where there would be different wealth distribution. And God wants us to share freely. And we're, as Tim said in that video, we're giving to four 
um, charities. And it is a decision to try and keep going with some of these charities because one of the things that charities need is consistency. And so we've, over years, have given Oasis and the people that work in East Manchester there a, a, a generous amount of money, which they have used and uh, are using really well. Uganda, I've been there. Andy Brownlee, who uh, serves you here, has been there. One of our medics from Gorton was there just after Christmas, actually taking some of the medical equipment that we raised money for in our last uh, Give Big and actually did a, a week of surgeries and training uh, in the hospital there. So we're really, really invested. Andy Brownlee's going after Christmas again and probably will take some of the equipment that we're raising money for. So it really is getting right into the people. And then some of you saw Sharo and Alexis when they came across in, um, I think it was just before the summer holidays, explaining what they do. A fantastic work in war-torn Iraq with the Kurdish people. And then the Hardship Fund. That actually, it was a, one of the uh, people in one of our congregations said to us, when the cost of living crisis hit, we should have a hardship fund. So we responded, actually, to that. And uh, we really have been able to help some people, and we want to keep helping people in our midst who find themselves literally in hardship. So we've, we've remembered those who have died, those who are dying, those who are caught up with war. We've remembered the poor, and uh, how our attitude should be towards the poor in our own community and the community of the world. Paul urged us to remember Jesus' death till he comes again. <laughs>